Today's episode is brought to you by Banzoogle, where you can build a stunning DJ website in minutes. With a few simple clicks, you can enhance your online presence with a great website behind your own .com domain for your mixes, music, and more. Visit bandzoogle.com and use the coupon code PASSION to receive 15% off your new website. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Passionate DJ Podcast. I'm your host, David Michael, and I'm hanging with Tony, Tripp, and Mo. How are you doing, fellas? Chilling. Good. Good. How are you? I'm a little worse for the wear, but I'm here. You're always worse <laughs> for the wear, man. When are you going to get over it? I know, right? <laughs> this has just been like the worst month ever. Well, like, ever. So what's the latest? Where, where are you at now? Yeah, so now I've got a dual ear infection, which means I have... An ear infection in yeah, in all of all two of my ears. Um, so uh, I've been on antibiotics for a couple of days, and so it's cleared up a little bit out of the left. So now I can hear just enough to participate. You have like the worst <laughs> DJ condition possible right now. <laughs> right? <laughs> Is it mu- was it muffle sound? Yeah. So like when when it was at its worst, um, I could barely hear any outside sounds. It's like you know you're taking your hands and cupping it over your ears. Uh-huh. You just hear your heartbeat. Yeah, you can hear your heartbeat. You hear yes. every breath, every swallow, and all that uh-huh. stuff. But then for people like you and I that have tinnitus, mm-hmm. like ear infections increase the intensity of tinnitus. So like on top oh, of all of that, that other stuff, like all I hear is the ringing over and have over. Have I showed and over. you that article yet that my buddy sent me? Which one? The, it's it's about tonight. I'll have to send it to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. They talked a little bit about the science behind it. Yeah, yeah, the science behind it. And they may have found something to make the sound go away, to realign your neurons that are oh. that are acting out of whack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like they do like a, a zap on the neck along with a couple blasts of sound in the ears simultaneously. Oh, wow. And it supposedly realigns those neurons which that's why you're getting that phantom sound because right. they're out of whack. Once it realigns them, the sound dampens and then goes away. Man, I'm going to have to check into yeah. that. I'll send you the article. wonder yeah, if my insurance will cover it. <laughs> <laughs> it seems Not like dude, I got some jumper cables and some <laughs> right. car battery. I got you, dog. <laughs> Yeah, it no seems doubt. like the, the tech has come a long way in the past few years on that kind of stuff. Like, there's I've, been a lot of research going yeah, into that. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I believe in it. You know, I've been telling since I've had tinnitus, everybody's like, man, isn't isn't it annoying? Well, yeah, it's annoying and everything. And since I've had LASIK eye surgery, you know, I told myself, if I can go in there and they can zap lasers on my eyes and I'm out in 10 <laughs> minutes and have 20-20 vision, they sure, should be able right. to find a way to get into that intercochlear of the right. ear, yeah, you know, yeah. which is... Yeah, so yeah. I'm very optimistic about it. Yeah, and and I, I try to keep my finger on the pulse of that stuff. You know, I don't, I'm not an obsessive reader over it, but you know, I, I check up on it. You know, maybe once or twice a year to, you know, just see what's the newest stuff. And I I, I have seen 
uh, some headlines uh, around that that kind of stuff. So that that is really exciting. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So I mean, I, I probably sound a little stuffy or you know whatever. You know, just all sinus infection, ear infections. It all just it, it all comes with January in Ohio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I've got to say you've been quite a trooper, man, because I know you put a, a lot of work into doing research for this episode. Uh, we're talking about the state of the music industry. Yeah. And uh, you you put a lot of work in here, man. So I appreciate that, even though you've been under the weather and busy and. Everything yeah. going on, so it's one of the benefits from working from home, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, Modingo, what up? When does your one more rep podcast come out? With any it's luck, like imminent, isn't well, it? Well, yeah. So I had read somewhere that it usually takes up to three to five days for a podcast to get approved in iTunes. Well, apparently that's not entirely true because it happened like before I even went to bed. Because I, I uploaded one just to test it out and try and get an idea of when it would work or when it would launch and like no shit like I was doing something and it popped up when I on the thing and I was like oh fuck <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I've been feverishly engineering those five episodes to release at launch and hopefully the middle of next week so a couple so, days after this episode will be released I'm thinking about maybe Wednesdays. Okay, so for uh, our listeners who aren't familiar, can you give us the the pitch on uh, what the show's about and maybe a couple of the topics that you've recorded so far? So being on this show actually kind of gave me the idea of even creating my own show, but it's going to be about fitness. And as old listeners know, I'm a CrossFit coach and also a DJ. So kind of learning or taking the tools that I've learned from this show and creating my own show, talking about fitness, but not telling you like, how you're going to get a six pack or how you're going to run a six minute uh, mile and a half, but more talking about philosophy and coaching the mentality aspect of it. Um, how to, you know, some of the characteristics of a good gym. Uh, what else? Uh, how to like, if this, the functional fitness or CrossFit is, is the right kind of workout for you. We're going to dive into some other things like nutrition and as our quote Super Bowl for CrossFit comes up here shortly, we're going to start talking about the different levels of that. And we've done a couple of interviews, and there might be some more interesting news coming out of that as a result of that interview. I'll let you guys know okay. once that shores up, because um, it's going to actually going to be a, because of everything that I've gained from this might help me launch into another thing that's actually pretty big. So. Right. Kind of being cryptic like Tony does. When he's <laughs> I was about, about to say, shows. it's like me launching a lineup. <laughs> so, I have a show. Yeah. It's going to be soon. There's going to be somebody really big yeah. there. But That's yeah. all I got. But it's called the One More Rep Podcast, and it's me and a buddy of mine who's a gym owner. I don't own a gym, but I'm a coach as well as uh, he is. And like I said, our slogan is be, taking you beyond the barbell. Nice. So, so it's, like I said, not just teaching you like how to do a, a proper snatch or a clean and jerk, but, you know, the things that it takes to hey hey now <laughs> you stay out of my personal life <laughs> you know and yeah, I know I know Trip's personal favorite is burpees no oh, yeah, yeah, none of that. it's worst. all those things periphery that you're not going to get while you're being coached at you know a fitness class or definitely not the things you're going to get from like twenty four hour fitness and all that stuff so um, I've committed to it to doing it for a year and you know kind of reassess what things look like after that but I'm actually having a lot of fun uh, thank you very much Trip. Uh, a handful of people that I've sent the previews out to, the first thing they commented on was the audio quality. Very cool. So that's really nice to know that, you know, I was able to follow the training that you gave me 
and produce a quality product because some of the people that I've sent it to, they, they're really heavy podcast listeners and they said by far like just the qual audio quality alone was enough to, to keep them interested because you listen to a lot of other podcasts in that um, in that bandwidth, you know, in terms of fitness mm -hmm. and all that stuff. And it's guys like talking into their phones or it's like five guys in a room in one microphone. Right. So, you know, you sound like you're in a fish tank. Yep. You know, you know, the content is good, but it's, sometimes it's just a struggle to listen to it when the audio quality is poor. A lot of people that, you know, don't don't really take ear fatigue into account. You know, it, I mean, yeah, it's, it, like you said, the content might be great. But, you know, if you want somebody to sit and listen to you for 20, 30, 60, 90 minutes, like, it's got to be easy on the ears. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, uh, speaking of great content, uh, we're also going to be doing a version two of our uh, a fan favorite <laughs> episode from way, way back in the day called Bad Gig Stories. Oh, man, I remember this one. This was yeah. when I was still just a listener. Yeah, I was a listener, too, and that was one of my favorite eps when I was a listener. I actually, When I was deployed, I listened to that thing several times, and I took it to work and let other people listen to it, and they were all cracking up. <laughs> it was uh, episode 16 or 17, something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was uh, early. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're looking for stories, so um, definitely uh, either hit up the, if you've got you know any kind of crazy story, awful story, hilarious story, any anything that you would call a bad DJ gig uh, that uh, might be either helpful or entertaining or that we can laugh at you slash with you, <laughs> anything right, like that, right. um, hit us up on the website, passionatedj.com. You can leave a voicemail and tell it to us in your own words, or you can always uh, send us an email at podcast at passionatedj.com. I personally like the voicemail once because to hear it in someone else's you know voice and like the emphasis they put on everything because they live yes. the moment because they they're reliving right. that moment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, if if you can do voicemail, we very much prefer that because it, it really does it it comes out the message is completely different. It's a lot different message when when you're saying it instead of one of us, so. Yep. Um all right. So let's get on to some industry news and uh just kind of see what's been going on. The first thing that uh, we kind of looked at was Spotify. You know, there's some big news about they're going to file an IPO and go public, even though they're not profitable, but they're <laughs> the biggest streaming company ever. Right. So it's a little confusing. Yeah. Does, the, the, does going, the question, does going public, I'm not too familiar with this, the way yeah, this yeah. works, but are they looking for people to invest more money? So, it, it, so yeah. So going public uh, means that they are like they're currently a private company. Mm -hmm. So the only shares or or in, uh, investment through um, through shareholders right. is internal or private. Right. I understand so, how that works. Right. right. So then going public means that they are now taking the company to the stock exchange and then offering out shares to gain capital from investors uh, out on the public market. Mm -hmm. So uh, what's interesting about that, though, is that so they've got their own internal private stock thing going on, you know, with their with their internal with their private investors. Yeah, they're yeah. private investors, but they're not profitable. They but yet they're the biggest game in town. And yet when they put together this IPO, they're they're totally bypassing underwriting and the the traditional channels for taking your company public. Now, none of us in here, I assume, are, you know, finance 
gurus or anything like that. But it, it, it's it's interesting because when you see somebody who's bringing something like Spotify to the table to the public and saying, "Give me all your dollars now," you know it. And they are the biggest thing. So it's I, I, I saw an analogy somewhere that said it's like having the biggest, baddest house in the neighborhood and stomping a for sale by owner sign in the yard and totally bypassing a realtor. Mm. You know, you know, you have the biggest, baddest house and it doesn't matter if you're upside down in the loan. You know, you're going to get what you need out of it. So, you know, for Spotify to be totally bypassing all of these other channels that, you know, the big the banks, conventional channels that yeah, the conventional channels that all of these banks, you know, typically, um, you know, make make a bunch of money on in the underwriting. It, all that's being, you know, swept off to the side. So it's a it's it's a very weird thing that has a bunch of financial people like scratching their head and people like me who I don't I know enough but not nearly nuts and bolts detail and even I'm like I don't know you know maybe I'll buy a couple of shares because I love Spotify and I pay for it (laughs) well NPR says some analysts estimate this could save the company as much as 300 million dollars in fees Spotify's current private investors can also simply cash out without waiting for the traditional lock-in period to end. From this perspective, a direct listing is just a more efficient way to IPO. We don't think at all that this is another way to go public. It's an inferior way, a defensive way to come out into the public market, says Kathleen Smith, founder of Renaissance Capital. So mm. it's it's kind of making some ripples in the, uh, the investment space, I suppose. Right. But you know, in in terms of like you know, state of the music industry, I mean that that's that to me says that Spotify's got some balls. Mm-hmm. Like if they if they yeah. they know what they're doing, and and you know, so even though they're not profitable right now, but they're earning money. I mean, they've they're I mean, between ad revenue. Um, and paid subscriptions, yeah, paid mm-hmm. subscriptions. Plus, they're now starting to look into getting into the podcasting realm because I guess the 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 ad revenue from the podcasting industry alone is like in like the two hundred millions or three hundred millions or something like that. <sighs> right. <laughs> we should jump on. Send that. all sponsorship <laughs> requests to. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it. I to me, this is a good signal. You know, whether or not like Spotify was going public the traditional route or not, but like because they're not to me, that's that says something about music in general, because, you know, with music in general, you know, we've got all of these different things that we talk about all the time with like, you know, vinyl versus digital versus streaming and, uh, you know, beat port with, you know, traditional downloads, but then, um, pulse locker just shut down and that was a, a practically a streaming service, you know? So it's just been one of those things where like, when you see such a big company that has such a huge reputation right now, like that's pretty slick. But I think in addition to that, outside of the music realm, other smaller companies that are considering making that initial public offering to, to sell shares are sitting back patiently and watching how this goes. Right. Because I, this is relatively unprecedented for an organization this large to not go through those normal hoops of underwriting. Yeah. Because, I mean, if any, like you said, with the whole analogy of for sale by owner, I mean, you're saving a, a chunk of money right there by not having someone else list it for you. But right. again... You know, maybe like you said earlier before the show, maybe they know something nobody else does. Right, right. Yeah, there's a certain confidence that behind that that 
is intriguing, right. if nothing else. To be a fly in the room of that boardroom. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, sort of relating to uh, the idea of streaming and royalty payments and, and all that kind of stuff, the other big uh, techie-type news these days is, is crypto, right? Cryptocurrency. Everybody's talking about Bitcoin mm. and, and all the other you know, spinoffs that have, have come as a result of that popularity. Right. And there's uh, a new game in town, a uh, company, a $5 million startup called Vest, that's V-E-Z-T. And uh, I guess they're showing promise in allowing rights holders and content creators to get their due. So basically, uh, this comes from CryptoDaily.co.uk. They say, in essence, the rights holder will sell a portion of their rights to their song to Vest. Users of the service will purchase the right to digitally stream by way of the platform's subscription service using Vest's own cryptocurrency to make payments. The blockchain, which is a whole topic in itself, right, <laughs> which right. is, I know a lot of people that's going to go you know, right past them, but you're going to be hearing that word a lot more in the next couple of years. Isn't that essentially what makes the money valid? It's Yeah, it's like a, a ledger of, of transactions mm-hmm. is the simplest way to put it. Right. Um, it'll keep a constantly updated and inviolable record of all streams and purchases, feeding back instantly to the company and the rights holder, who will be able to see in real time how their song is performing. The royalties will be paid out in Vest's own currency or can be converted to a currency of the rights holder's choice for a 5% fee, which is where they make their money. Mm. Which is fascinating. Like, I don't know enough about crypto to, to understand if that's a good idea or not. Same. same. <laughs> uh, only because there, there's so many of them. Right. It's decentralized. It's, it's taking out the middleman. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, for me, like, I wish I knew so much more about that because it, it this seems to be, at least for content creators, songwriters, you know, book writers, you know, people who create things who have been, you know, really upset at industries at large, you know, music industry and the the publishing industry and all of that stuff. When am I going to get my due? You know, all like in the, in the back in the day, all of those record labels and companies and all of that stuff, you know, you signed a contract and you got X of royalties out of X amount of, you know, record sales and blah, 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 blah. Right. But things have changed so much, so drastically over the past, what, 20 years, uh, 30 years, even. You know, that it's increasingly become a problem where even like superstars, you know, even back in the days of CDs were making sense on CDs. And uh, so if you sold like a million of them, well, a million cents is still a lot of nickels at the end (laughs) of the day, but it's not nearly enough when you consider that the CDs were selling back in the day for nine, 10, $15. Mm-hmm. And if it was a really big artist, you know, up to 20. And, you know, so as we've gone into this digital realm where now things are totally different, you know, total album sales are actually, you know, kind of down, but like streaming and single sales and all of that kind of stuff keeps going up. So then who gets fucked in the end? Or who, who you know who gets screwed in the end? The artist always. is the artist, right? So this blockchain kind of technology kind of helps the artist. Alle- get uh, yeah, helps the artist kind of recoup that, or or at least be able to track it better, or and 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 actually get what they're due. I I can see at some point if a record label is putting up 
you know, a million or a hundred thousand or whatever the, the, the tag is to get set artist out there and recoup their money and their investment and their ROI and all that. But still at the end of the day with all this artists never see what they, don't they should the get, yeah. right. what yeah. they're really worth. Unless, I mean, they make all their money touring, right. You know, off of the music, they artists has never really made much. Right. It's, it's a shame. Right. Um, <clears throat> But it, so it's seeing where it, to get to go back to the crypto. That's that's going to be a really interesting thing to watch because if if people are able to buy in at, at you know for artist X, you know I call it Beyonce, call it you know Taylor Swift, whoever. If somebody were to utilize something like that, and you bought into the rights of that song or, or that album or, or whatever, or even if it's like the, the total of, you know, all of the rights of everything that they're putting out there, however it works. Like, can you imagine if you owned 0.001 of Beyonce's halo? uh, Well, I was (laughs) going to say, I was going to say the Beatles white album. Yeah. Like, can you imagine that? Like if somebody put that out there, gee, many Christmas, like that would shoot, through the roof. Yeah, like Tony's saying, I think this is going to take some hands out of the pot. Right. So that way the artist yeah. will get more of that juice. The artist, the people that actually invest into the artist, mm-hmm. like, get their out some return, of those gatekeepers. And, yeah. Right, right. You know, I mean, there's there's still always, you know, agent 10%, management 20% if they're doing sure. all this work, but still when it comes to the music that you're putting out, you should, like, as the artist, you should get, you know, the bigger bulk in return yeah. than never, 30 other people. And I never realized like how much artists didn't get till I watched that special on TLC, mm-hmm. the, the, the band TLC, <laughs> yeah. uh, how, how, oh, they went, yeah. how they went bankrupt. And yep. I was like, how the hell do you go bankrupt? You went around the world twice and sold a billion albums and they started breaking it down. And you're like, damn. Mm-hmm. That's what happens when you start chasing waterfalls, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be here all night. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> uh, they also say that uh, the beta phase attracted artists of caliber such as Drake, John Legend, Jay-Z, Kanye West, and Dr. Dre. So they're not messing around. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's kind of interesting. You know, it, it makes you wonder if, you know, on the one hand, we're looking at Spotify, who's... It, it makes me wonder if, like, are they even at the cutting edge anymore? Or are they making a really big gamble on something that might not be the way forward. Right. Because that that almost looks like a an archaic model if you consider the fact that crypto takes out the Spotify's from the equation. Sure. You sure. know what I mean? Yeah. It's a way to get direct results to the artist and to the investor and whatever. Right. Without right. having, you know, a gatekeeper such as Spotify. I mean there's still fees associated with it, but mm-hmm. yep. it's, it's kinda interesting. I, I, like you said, Spotify has to know something we don't. And I'm I'm sure that they're not, you know, completely oblivious to the technology risk. like that. Maybe they're jumping on the blockchain. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? Um, if did, we have anybody did, that works for Spotify, please send us the inside information at yeah. info at passionatedj.com. <laughs> there was somebody uh, that started, uh, somebody within the EDM community did, that started their own uh, blockchain thing, right? Yes. Uh, grammatic. Mm. We've talked about that before, I think, briefly. Let's see. Yeah, Grammatic raised $2.48 million, bringing the value of his entertainment company up to $9 million. Wow. Like, that that cat's off the off the chain. Like, not only is he, like, 
super talented, makes great music, and apparently is like wicked on stage too. But then like to already have like some like entertainment like company like that that he's in charge of and and that you know is growing and flourishing, and then to get into this crypto stuff and and what and two you know two point whatever million at launch like like that's a come up. Yeah, <laughs> guys, we got to do something here. Like, <laughs> we're reading this news, and I'm starting to get motivated. Like, <laughs> I don't know if you saw that fake news story where it talked about some guy selling uh, Chuck E. Cheese tokens as bitcoins on the street. <laughs> I didn't see that. That's I heard about it. I, I was like, oh, please let this be true. Please let this be true. Don't. No fake news. Uh, fake news. <laughs> Yeah, there's a, a quote here on dancingastronaut.com uh, from him. It says the embedded in the, uh, it says G-R-M-T-K. So we'll yeah. just say grammatic token. Right. Embedded in the grammatic token is not only the rights and royalties of my creations, but the ideals and philosophy of freedom and liberty for all artists, for all people. This is a movement of not only art, but of the mind and spirit. So, yeah. it's You know, and, and you know, so trying to take some of that with a grain of salt, you know, because, you know, everybody, when they put something out, you know, you want, you want to market it. You want to, you want to, you want to make it sound like it's puppies, kittens and rainbows. Right. So, um, but so, you know, the reality is, I mean, you know, he wants this thing to take off. He's going to make money off of this and, and, and it's going to keep growing his empire. But, you know, kind of reeling some of that, uh, some of that skepticism back. It kind of goes back to what Tony was talking about when we very first started talking about cryptocurrencies. Is that like when you cut out so much of that middleman, and if you can build something like that, like that allows you to do actual good in the world as well as for yourself. You know, and it lets other people kind of take uh, take charge and and invest and support the things that they actually care about directly. So, yeah, the the thing that kind of confuses me is like what, you know, it seems like every other day there's a new cryptocurrency. So like how far do we segment this down? Like, does it I'm sure we'll hear from some of our readers on this because they're people way more educated on this than I am. Right. Absolutely. um, You know, once you you divide this into 90 bazillion different cryptocurrencies, is it still as useful? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. It's like subgenres, right? Like, you know, you've got, you know. You could probably break most music down into a dozen, maybe a couple dozen main genres, and then you could take any one and then come up with three hundred. Right, <laughs> you know? right. And at that point, does it matter if you're listening to psy trance or trance or progressive trance or you know, like <laughs> it's all trance, right? Like it just depends on the conversation and how nitty gritty you want to get into details. But you know, it, by saturating something. You know, then I, I, I kind of agree with you there. Like that, that's a fear that I would have too. getting into crypto it would be if everybody comes to the table with a crypto. Well, then, like, you know, does it saturate the market? Does it does having 50 million different cryptos out there, you know, affect how each one of these perform on their own or or any interdependent? dependencies and things like that right like how how useful is a blockchain for a particular currency if you have to convert it five times to right get where to your end destination you know what i mean sure so if i'm buying something with grammatic bucks and i want to buy something off of what is somewhere else you know i just i i don't get how 
how far that should be taken. You know, that's that seems a little crazy to me, but that's probably just coming from a place of ignorance too. Well, so right, and I claim ignorance as well the because conversion. Yeah, yeah, I I just I don't know enough about it. I don't own any crypto yet. Like I've been trying to like read up on the tech so I have somewhat of an understanding before I go getting into it, but. Um, you know, it, it, it's definitely something to be watching because even with as unstable as those markets are and can be, you know, pretty volatile at times, depending on what happens, um, you know, case in point, you know, when Silk Road, the, the drug website, you know, was busted, mm. you know, years ago, Bitcoin plummeted. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was one of the kingpins had like a yeah. butt ton of those yeah. things, right? Uh, well, because the whole Silk Road thing was built off of Bitcoin. you know bitcoin transactions but you know but i mean it bounced back and you know and and roared. Yeah, yeah yeah so um but even with all of that volatility like that it, it's it's an interesting thing but for me it just i wish i knew more about it before i really felt comfortable getting in you know wading into that well you know we've been talking about you know streaming and tech and and all this stuff but as it turns out uh Live ticket sales are up. Even, you know, the the narrative we tend to hear is everybody's staying home more. Mm-hmm. You know, people aren't going out. People are staying home and binging on Netflix. But uh, it turns out that uh, the industry hit $8 billion in ticket sales in 2017, wow. which is up from uh, $7.3 billion. Nice. So it just keeps rocketing straight up yep, with uh, yep. the live ticket sales. Um, top of the bill there is Coachella, obviously, like by several orders of magnitude. <laughs> right. I think I read in that article uh, that we pulled that info from uh, that even if Coachella only went for one weekend, it was still like leaps and bounds over the next highest, like the number two festival. It, like in, it was, it was by like at least what, like almost double. It, was yeah. it almost double? Pol- yeah. com says Coachella raked in, over 114 million dollars, which yeah. is uh, 250,000 tickets, and then the next under that was Outside Lands, bringing in 27.9 million. Right. right. So live ticket sales. This is just festivals, or is this is this festivals, concerts, et cetera, et cetera? I think it's I think it's all everything. Yeah. I would assume it's for anything. It would be considered an event, right? Oh, so. Right. Probably they would consider concerts in that, but nothing would even compete with with those. I, yeah. That would be my guess because you know a concert's just one thing, but a you know two week or two weekend festival is. Oh yeah, I was just talking about the eight billion. Yeah. Oh, oh, if oh, it's I all see. wrapped into oh. just festivals, or if it's festivals and. Yeah, I think it's every show. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah, I don't expect a three DM show to match Coachella's <laughs> right. ticket sales. Right. Maybe one day. Not today. <laughs> <laughs> right. All it says is concert ticket sales revenue in okay. North America. Yeah. Makes sense. All right. Uh, the other thing that's up is vinyl sales. Oh, yeah. Uh, and we've been hearing about that. That's been year. an upward trend for what? Every year it says it's going up. Yeah. yeah, I think the first time I wrote an article on the site about that was like 2013, 2014. I'm like, okay. wow, vinyl sales are going up. Yeah. And it, I mean, every year since then, it just keeps going and going. Uh, it's to the tune of 26% last year. Wow. Nice. Uh, let's see. 12 years of growth in sales, up 9% from 2016 for a total of over 14 million records sold. Wow. Uh, Canada had a record-breaking year, seven straight years of growth in sales, up to almost 22% from 2016. Okay. I thought, and what, uh, one thing I read about Canada uh, is that they had like a record chain or a record store chain 
that um, has pretty much all but like just went out of business and they've, they've shut down a bunch of their stores. Mm-hmm. It's the mom and pop places. You know, it's all of the like indie places that are like popping up. And those are the ones that are like filling that void and actually flourishing in this like new vinyl economy. Hmm. It's pretty slick. Does it break it down geographically of where a lot of the vinyl stores <coughs> are coming from? Or is it just talk about Canada? No, it, it does mention uh, the Beatles, Ed Sheeran, Kendrick Lamar, Amy Winehouse, and Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack are amongst the tops of the charts. But it doesn't really get too much further down than that. I'm sure there are some stats on that, but yeah. it seems like it's pretty much across the board. Right. Sales are up. Uh, definitely in North America. Um, why do you guys think that is in this age of s- streaming and, and convenience and... Portability. Well, the pr- the price of, the <laughs> price of vinyl is definitely up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I know it's not, it's not not like it used to eight be or ten bucks to buy an album. Now it's like twenty three. Yeah. yeah, you know, Easily. some albums that I look at are fifty bucks. I'm like, whoa. Yeah, and so, some of those aren't even first pressings. Right. Yeah. The power I mean, of a niche market. They probably I guess. just don't print as much as they used to. Obviously, but well, I think part of it is you know, <clears throat> it, I mean, we we can. Uh, jokingly say hipsters, right? But I mean, there's definitely some interest in the millennials. Like they've, they've really kind of, you know, brought a lot of this back up to, you know, um, back up to the surface. But one of the interesting things is that like turntables, you know, it used to be that, you know, either a, a, a turntable either came with, you know, some like component stereo set or something like that. And, um, and if you were a DJ, well, then, you know, we're talking, you know, techniques and new marks and Gemini's and even the, the, the cheaper ones were not, you know, all that all that accessible, mm-hmm. you know, when you adjust for inflation and stuff like that for the times that those things were big. But now, like you can go and, you know, pick up a, a, a like a Crosley little like suitcase record player thing that has even a Bluetooth connection if yeah. you want to stream to it for less than a hundred bucks. Yeah, I got one for my niece and nephew for Christmas and maybe it was sixty bucks. It's yeah. got Bluetooth yeah. um, and RCA out cables. So then when you and a built in speaker even. So when you team that up with, you know, we're kind of in this weird transitional phase with digital meeting streaming where you know, we've talked before about our mp3 libraries where like i've had you know 50 million songs and the id3 tags are all wrong and you know and and no matter how meticulously i kept track of that you know if a hard drive crashed and i didn't have it backed up well then i lost all that shit right like Mm -hmm. so that's the that's i think we're at this weird crossroad where like not everything that you want is available on streaming um I mean, we can say a lot of stuff is, you know, we can even go as far as say most, but not everything, uh, you know, to to maintain and house and, and keep your own MP3 library. It's a lot of work. It's it takes up hard drive space, yada, yada, yada. So I think we're at this place where we're meeting, you know, the best of the streaming world where. If I want it on demand, if I'm out on the go, I've got it right here, and it's in full digital quality streaming at whatever bit rate or you know whatever. But we're also getting these people who want something tangible, mm-hmm. 
you know, yeah. so, physical product. Right. Like I, with a record, I don't have to maintain an ID three tag. I don't have to, Doesn't you know, take up hard drive space, right. Yeah. Like, I mean, unless this house goes up on in flames, you know, or a flood or something that damages the records. But I mean, that's with anything that you own, it's tangible. So it's, uh, you know, there's, there's album art that it's not just, you know, a thumbnail that, you know, shows up when you fire up a, um, when you fire up your player, it it's actual art. You can open it up. Sometimes there's lyric sleeves. Uh, some of them put posters in there. Yeah, and, and stickers it, or whatever. Yeah, and all kinds of stuff. So yeah. like it, it's, um, and vinyl's unique. Like you can, you can go record shopping, and sure, most of them are black. You know, black vinyl, but there's all different colors of vinyl. Some of them even do like marbles and swirls and all of that stuff. And, and that's not even getting into, like, the audiophile pretension, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like right. you know, you, can, you you talk to an audiophile who loves vinyl, and it sounds warm, you know? Like, <laughs> you know? Right. The magic crackle. And, 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 you know, as somebody who appreciates and loves vinyl, there is something to that sound. I don't know that... It's pristine in comparison because, you know, as a producer, when I crank something out of Ableton and it's done and I send it off to mastering, that's how I intend it to sound. Right. If it goes to vinyl and there's anything that gets lost in that translation, you know, then I don't know. But if it sounds warmer and somebody enjoys that, you know, along with the pops and crackles or whatever, then okay, great. But <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it, it's definitely an interesting time. That we're that we're seeing right now, especially when it comes to vinyl. I think uh, you know, especially for say like older millennials or younger like Xers, there's yeah. a nostalgia factor there. Absolutely, for people who are of a certain age where they've they were they're old enough to remember having to collect <laughs> actual physical pieces of media, right? But they're young enough they still want to do that. You know what I mean? There's just like an age range there where it's like. Oh man, remember when I used to do this and now right. I don't have that anymore. Right. Yeah, it's great to walk out of a record store with a record in your hand, but mm -hmm. when you download that same song as a as a file, it's like big deal. Right. Yeah, I remember going to the record store and buying this record. Right. You know, and that there's a memory associated with that. I couldn't tell you when outside. I downloaded it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I couldn't tell you when I downloaded this MP3. And what's cool about what Tony just said, though, is that a lot of uh, a lot of new vinyl that gets released now also comes with the download. Yeah. So if you are the type of person that wants to, uh, you know, collect, still have your own MP3 library, you can both own the physical media and you can have the the digital files to take with you or wherever you want and add them to your library. And even now, I think it was over this the summer or fall, like the Red Hot Chili Peppers, their mm. last album, they released it on vinyl before they released it on digital. Mm, right. A lot of techno DJs do that, too. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right, we've got a little bit more to talk about on vinyl, but before we do, I want to talk about websites. Um, we actually have teamed up with um, a group called Bandzoogle. This is the first sponsor of the Passionate DJ podcast. Yay! Yeah. And I got to tell you, it's really cool. Uh, basically, Banzoogle makes it easy for you to build a stunning website for your music in minutes. And they have, uh, you know, when you sign up, they basically give you a set of templates to start from. 
And I mean, right off the bat, you know, I think within five minutes, I had like a really decent looking website without trying too hard. And, and I was stunned. I yeah, mean, we were we were doing a video like huddle and Dave like he say, check it, this out. Yeah, he pulled it up <laughs> and he showed us the screen and we we're all looking at there and no joke. In the span of five minutes, Dave had a pretty dope-looking website. <laughs> now, you have a background in IT, and you mm-hmm. know a lot of that stuff. How is it? Incredibly simple. Like, awesome. I, I mean, I, I logged in, and I had never you know, checked that out before. I went through, I selected a template, and I started filling in info. I put like a really good shot from one of your three-dimensional shows from when I was playing and put it up there and looked at it, and I was like, this is way better than the website I had actually built for myself a couple of years ago. I was really impressed with it. And the way I explained it to my wife, it was almost like how uh, MySpace, how you had those templates and you just sort of dragged and dropped and it was really user friendly. That's kind of what it reminded me of. That's how simple it was. So they include all the features you need for a professional website and it's already built in. It includes tools to sell your music and merch and that's commission free. You can sell it right on your website. Uh, it includes uh, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters. It integrates with all the online services you already use, like SoundCloud, Bandcamp, you know, Twitter and Instagram, all that kind of stuff. And uh, they have live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Nice. So their plans start at just eight twenty-nine a month, and that includes your own .com domain name. You can go to bandzoogle.com. That's B-A-N-D-Z-O-O-G-L-E.com to try it free for 30 days. And if you use the promo code PASSION, you can get 15% off your first year of subscription. And we also have a link to that in the show notes. Banzoogle, websites built for musicians by musicians. Okay, so talking about vinyl. So there's a story from Mixmag that says vinyl sales helped both businesses and charities gain more revenue in 2017. So as vinyl sales are ever increasing, charity shops are reaping the rewards as proved by an Oxfam music store in Glasgow. So I had to look that up. I had never heard of them, but it, it seemed like they were kind of a, a goodwill situation, but okay. they it seemed like they do a little more proactive uh, charity work you know, okay. out in the field. Uh, it says that the store sold uh, in 2017... Uh, their records alongside cassette CDs and instruments contributed to a hundred thousand British pounds profit. So that's about $141,000 in us money. Um, manager of the store, Andrew McWinney said, we have tried to do what the independent shops do. He says, instead of it being just a bargain shop, we have tried to categorize the music and try to make it as fun as we can for the people to go through. So even like your, your secondhand charity shops are seeing the the resurgence in these vinyl sales. It's That's not just very cool. Yeah, it's not just the reported numbers from, you know, direct from publishers, which I thought was pretty fascinating. So the lesson that we learned from that is if you've got if you're sitting on a bunch of vinyl, don't just go donate it to Goodwill. You might actually be able to make some money off. Yeah, maybe sit on that for a while. Uh, matter of fact, uh, a friend of mine was looking to off. I think it was close to like 160, 180 records or something like that. And they were all like mid uh, or early, late 90s, maybe early 2000s, like, uh, you know, electronic stuff, uh, trance and house and breaks and stuff like that. And he had a, a flight case to go with it. And he was asking for over 300 bucks. And I was like, man, there's no way. Like, <laughs> you know, it, it, me coming from, you know, the last time that I sold a lot of records. You know, I was lucky to get like a quarter a piece, 
You know, and here yeah. this guy's asking for a couple bucks each, and and sure as all get out, he got it. Wow. Did he have some Venga wow. boys in there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, were they gems or were they just? I mean, there were some good ones in there for sure. Um, uh, you know, like uh, DJ Dance, Needle Damage, some Platypus, and uh-huh. some Hooge tunes and stuff like that. So, like, I mean, it was he had a good collection. I don't but, think I could ever sell my Hooge or my Platypus mm, for oh, two I, and three I, bucks. There's uh, no way. Yeah, I, I'm. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> I have to stop myself from stealing all of your platypus every time. <laughs> and there's a couple of hooge that you have that That's I don't why I put have. my office here right in front of all of it. <laughs> well, it's not just uh, physical media sales, but the entire DJ equipment market is continuing to rise. Yeah. And you pulled up a uh, report that you found called, and it was a mouthful. Was it, that, it was. The global <laughs> DJ equipment market size and share of market forecast <laughs> say that three times fast uh, you can't even make that an acronym but the the punchline is uh, the global dj equipment market was valued at 383.78 million dollars in 2016 and is expected to reach 500 almost 576 million by the end of 20 uh 2022 uh, growing at a compound annual growth rate of seven percent right so, so we're, we're coming right off the cusp of NAM here and, and right. seeing all this new stuff come out. And we've had conversations before about, you know, feature bloat and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But the, the market continues to rise. And so it's it's going to be interesting to see how the DJ hardware manufacturers will maintain that growth. You know, right. what 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 new goodies are they going to keep offering us to, to keep the carrot out there to keep that price going up? More club horn buttons. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, I mean, think about it, though. I mean, even if we're not talking about Coachella level festivals, right? I mean, if we talk about like Ultra and Tomorrow World and Tomorrowland and uh, even, you know, movement, I mean, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people that flock to these things all the time. And sure, not all of those people are going to turn into DJs or even be interested in being a DJ, but there's a good percentage that are. You know, I mean, that that's how I got into DJing. I didn't, it, you know, I knew what a DJ was through like Yo! MTV raps back in like the right. ni- late 80s, early 90s and stuff like that. But I associated it with hip hop and all that stuff, but it was not anything that was even remotely on my radar. It wasn't until I went to a rave party in the late 90s and saw a DJ up close and loving the music and loving the environment and all of that stuff that really inspired me to be like, wow, I, you know, what is this and how do I find more of it and how do I get into it? And once I did, you know, then I was, I was hook, line and sinker. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still am. Right. Um, so as we see these massive crowds that keep building into all of these, uh, these festivals, but yet the hardware manufacturers are building in all of these features that, you know, make it easier to get started DJing. You know, there's a, we, we've talked about it before. There's a lot more to DJing than beat matching and being able to push the buttons and do whatever, right? There's philosophy behind it too. And the, the bad DJs usually end up in the wash, right? But, um, but in terms of like the gear manufacturers, like, of course they're going to keep, trying to you know meet the needs of that market so as more people come in there's going to be uh, you know I, I think there's going to continue to be an influx of like the the entry level controllers that do the the bare minimum with some fancy features that are at that right price point to you know somebody went 
They saw Dead Mouse. They saw Marshmallow. They saw whoever and loved that experience at insert festival name here. And now they want to get into it and are checking it out. Well, on that note, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know who else is checking out the market are the robots. Oh, mm. man. <laughs> so, so we've touched on this before. In fact, we had an episode, uh, episode 103 called Will Robots Take Our Jobs, which uh, we'll drop in the show notes. Sure. But uh, there was a Prague-based nightclub, and I'm not even entirely sure how to say it. Car- Carlevy Lazny? I, I don't know. I'm not even going to try. But... <laughs> It says that uh, it's here to blow minds with a computerized DJ system that works with a human programmer in an hourly rotation to get club rooms moving and grooving. Reuters reported that the club's management challenged a robotics team to create a robot that could perform at a dance club. The result? A fully functioning robo-DJ that acts as an extending arm to scratch, spin, and twist on the decks. Some were thrilled by the proposition of a Black Mirror-esque dance floor rave. Others weren't as pleased. <laughs> the article had a couple of video clips of, of people kind of giving their thoughts from the nightclub, and it, and it was kind of across the board. Yeah, but I, I saw, reviews, yeah. yeah, I saw a lot of, eh, I don't know. Right. Uh, it's not the same as having a real person. Other people are like, wow, this is really awesome. And the funny thing is I, I, I kind of relate to both of those, like right. just being the the tech nerd right like that's super cool right right but then being just the, the the music fan and the, the dj and the club goer whatever i th- i think i would enjoy it the novelty of it the first time right but is that something you know once i've seen it i'd be like all right that was cool now i'm gonna go see tony play it or right. i'm gonna go see and i think my favorite artist said, you know yeah and i think we've all said that before in that episode where it was like you know, especially if you're interested in that kind of tech and AI and all of that, like, yeah, sure. It'd be really cool to go see that. But, you know, on a regular basis, you know, not so much, you know, it seems like something you would say, like your friends come in from out of town like, you got to check this thing out. It's crazy. And then you go and then, and then it's over. It was like the first time you went to Chuck E. Cheese and saw all the robots singing. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the, the robotic arm part of it seems gimmicky yeah. gimmicky yeah. right because yeah. you, you don't need that part right to do what it's doing it's but you know they programmed all these little, little like dance moves into it and stuff and it was, I mean, it's, <laughs> does it do the robot arm yeah <laughs> it, it must <laughs> it better i'd be very disappointed if it didn't does it point its finger in the air <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was a comment that uh on that episode 103 on our soundcloud page uh that somebody posted named LaCroix, and he said, I do not think that robots will take over the job of a DJ because of the need for a face. Especially in EDM, most DJs are usually, quote, models, like good-looking people, (laughs) which helps their own brand. I don't think a robot can replace that. Yeah, because, you know, like I think I said in that last episode, who wants to go see DJ Spotify or DJ TouchTunes? You're not going to get excited about that. Right. Yeah, the the, the piece I brought up was like, you know, the mom-and-pop bar you know, where they can't afford to bring a DJ in. Right. Uh, cruise ships, vacation spots, you know, those types of things where you just want some music playing in the background. But as far as like, I'm not going to pay a cover to go watch a robot play music and not be able to read the crowd. Now you, Dave talked about the whole possibility of with all the, um, biometric information and trip, you're saying put a heart rate monitor on a Apple watch on people. And right. then you have all that data. I mean, something like that I'd be interested to see, but, 
just a robotic arm. Uh, <laughs> well, question: What if the robot became famous? And that's a serious question, right? No. Right. Just like that it, damn robot that plays chess against people, right? I was gonna say it could happen. I mean, that that sounds like something that could happen, like in the Japanese market, for example. Like they hey, they've hey, had hey, in- hey, <laughs> hey 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 the Saudis <laughs> the Sa- the Saudi Arabians they they have their first android artificial intelligence citizen. Yeah, like yeah. her name is like I think it's Sonia or Sophia or something like that. I hadn't heard about that. Oh yeah, that, that that's some crazy stuff. I'll I'll drop a link in the show notes for that. But, but like, uh, yeah, I mean nothing to do with DJing, of course. But like, yeah, like she's artificial intelligence. She learns and she sees and and interacts with you and all of that stuff. And they made her a citizen. Did they not watch the Matrix? <laughs> And, and Mo, I have to clarify because I, I, that's not meant to be a jab. Like, there's. Oh no, I'm just saying because I'm half Japanese. Well, that's well, why I, I know. I know. <laughs> but no, we we've invented half of the world's weird shit since like 1954. Well, <laughs> they have virtual pop groups. Yeah, right. In Japan. Oh yeah, Japan, Korea, all that. You know, that's yeah, that's been around for a minute. Yeah. So um, I mean, I could, why why wouldn't that happen? Yeah, you know, right. that's a, I that's didn't even know that was a thing. That's, that's an interesting that's, point, Tony. Yeah. yeah, I didn't even know that was a virtual pop group. Oh no! Even when I lived the last time I lived there, that stuff was kind of starting. Like, just they, they're these avatars that we've talked about before, and they have it, and they sell records. Kind of like you know how gorillas, you know, they they're like mm-hmm. just kind of like cartoon characters that are a band, but mm-hmm. they're actually people doing it. But they um, they actually have like synthesized like vocals and everything mm-hmm. like there's they're not actually people they're just i mean their people are producing it's, it yeah. you know but it's computer kind of takes me back to um mtv early days with max headroom mm. yeah. yeah yeah you know i mean wow, millions and millions of people watched max headroom and he, he was a had his own television cartoon show. Yeah. 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 nobody right. you know but if max headroom came to the nutter center and was on the big screen at the nutter center <laughs> would people pay tickets to go see that right that's know. a good point yeah. Uh, one, I stand by my statement. <laughs> <laughs> one interesting point that you said in there, though, is that uh, it it requires uh, a human programmer on an hourly rotation. I, I don't so, know if it requires that or if they're just doing that. Oh, okay. Uh, so I, I wonder if that's like, you know, right now there's all this uh, testing going on with autonomous vehicles. But like, and especially like semi trucks, they're they're starting to test that stuff, and you know, but you don't just put a, an unmanned semi truck on the road, right? So yeah, like explosive eight, from yeah. Florida to Minnesota, <laughs> right? There's there's eight cars, you know, that are driving around this truck to make sure that it doesn't go off the road or hit anybody or do anything crazy or stupid. Um, so I wonder if that's kind of the point of the human interaction. You know, on an hourly rotation, like, you know, that first hour, okay, you're playing some deep house. And then the next hour, oh, okay, we're going to get up into some disco and get some people moving. And then all of a sudden, 10 p.m. and he's dropping gabber core. Like, <laughs> uh, no, going to need some reprogramming. <laughs> I, I think that's probably why they're doing that is like the, the AI isn't that advanced yet for it. Right. This is more right. maybe beta is sure you know version of this i looked up uh, an article here on in gadget and it says at least some clubbers seem to like the arm however reuters points out that not so shocking objections from some on the dance floor the robot can't get a feel for what the crowd wants to hear tell you to put your hands in the air or otherwise react like a flesh and blood jockey we'd add that it's not going to be very creative and isn't about to cut up tracks like some of the most experienced DJs. For mm. now, at least, your favorite laptop guru or turntablist will remain gainfully employed. There you go. <laughs> For now. For now. <laughs> <laughs> so what does it all mean, man? 
So we've got some good news. We've got some maybe iffy news. You know, sure. this uh, the, the AI type conversations are, are always kind of a, a mixed bag reaction. You know, the, right. the tech's cool. This could mean great things or this could kill DJing as we know it. <laughs> and then humanity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Oh, I laugh because it might be true. Yes. I laugh because I'm scared. I don't want the robots to think I don't like them. Well, I, I think it, it still just kind of comes back to that, you know, like the comment uh, on SoundCloud that our friend left. Like, th- there's a certain enjoyment that you get from seeing a human do something like this. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Even if they're, even if, or maybe especially if it's not perfect. Right. You know, because there maybe there's an an empathy reaction there. You know, like when you, as a DJ, when we go see somebody playing on wax, and then they the beat starts phasing out a little bit, and you go, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, and then they lock it back in. There's like an adrenaline rush with that, right? You know, and and if a robot does that, you're just gonna be like, that robot fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) It isn't gonna be cool. You're gonna be like, they need to go back to the drawing board on that. (laughs) Yeah. So even with all that good news, though, I mean, so one of the the things that I'm I'm really taking away from all of this is that, like, you know, Tony and I especially have been like in it for a while to have seen a couple of waves. And you actually came in when it was like at a low point. It was nothing. Yeah. So for for the music industry as a whole, as we're talking about, you know, what does that mean for DJs? You know, right now, this is a great time. You know, the DJing, the interest in DJing is 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 way up there. The demands for DJs are way up there. You know, there's all kinds of festivals and clubs and, th- you know, things to uh, to really kind of get in where you fit in. So, um, you know, there's there's another thing to you know, another angle to approach here, you know, from the perspective of the DJ is, you know, do we enjoy doing this? Is this fun? Is this right. fulfilling for us? Yeah, because, you know. Take, uh, for instance, video games. You can have an em- emulator do a, a speed run on a video game and play through an entire game in 20 minutes to perfection, which is interesting to watch. But, okay, now what? I still want to go play the game. Well, I want to play the game, but like in Diablo 2, I had a bot that used to do Mephisto <laughs> runs and then, you know, hoping to get all the rare and, and ultra rare. I think you were just I, being an entrepreneur. Right, right. <laughs> and then, hustle, yeah, because right. then you could turn around and sell those items. Yeah. As a, as a, um, as the artist, so does it give you that actual dopamine hit? Right. Sure. Not at right. all. Well, well, are you talking about my Mephisto runs and Diablo no. Stellar? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm past all that. <laughs> um, yeah, so like, I mean, as as an artist, I mean, I think it's it, this is still a great time to get out there and 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 get in where you fit in mm-hmm. because you know the true test of how much you actually love this. Is not when it's good. It's, it's you know it's when it's the wave goes back down, and you know, it's are true. you still going to stick it out? You know, and 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 stick with it because you love it, not because you're making X, Y, or Z, you mm-hmm. know, amount of dollars or touring or do what doing the fadsters, whatever. as I right, like to call right. them, they'll weed themselves out. They'll Absolutely. realize that it's not as easy as you think. Right. It becomes a hobby that you may have to let go of because you can't afford it. You don't have the time for it, and you move on in life. Right. You know, so. The ones that will stick around are the, the, the true lovers of it. Right. You know? Absolutely. You know, I, st- I still enjoy 
powering my decks on and and nobody's in the room with me mm-hmm. and just doing my thing you know yep. it's I, i'm still going to do that whether I, I could go listen to a, a mix cd right now that's as automated as you can get right and i will do that sometimes but that doesn't stop me from wanting to dig into my tracks and do what i do and feel the music and that whole thing absolutely and, and i don't think that's going to go anywhere you know the that option's always going to be there the, the automotive industry is another great mm-hmm. uh, parallel you know manual transmissions are disappearing and that hurts my soul mm-hmm. because that's all i drive <laughs> hell right, some right. car steering wheels are disappearing yeah but the option's still going to be there maybe eventually we won't be able to drive on our public roadways <laughs> you know, but i'm still going to drive you know because i enjoy doing that yeah and <laughs> sorry that just made me think of Back to the Future, where we're going. We don't need we roads. Don't need <laughs> roads. But, I mean, it extends beyond that because, like me, I have my indoor garden in the basement. I could easily go buy all that stuff from the grocery well, store. Exactly, it's like literally two minutes down the street from yep. from my house. But I do it because there's something about having your hands in it, yeah, you know, and you... nurturing those things. And the same thing with my mixes. You know, it's like I this is my expression of these songs in this order with these little tweaks and stuff you like that. You bask in the glow of your own work yeah. right, right. and appreciate it and have a sense of pride in it. And then never release them. <laughs> and never release them. <laughs> <laughs> Which is its own episode yes. from uh, not too long ago, right? <laughs> That'll be episode, wait a minute. It's not even getting put out. <laughs> <laughs> I had everybody looking at me like, well, and on that note, don't forget to check out our merch at passionatedj.com forward slash merch. And this has been the Passionate DJ Podcast. Peace. Later. Bye. See, now I'm whacking my own mic here. So <laughs> That's the outtake. Yeah. Now I'm whacking. <laughs> <laughs> That's the outtake. I'm whacking my own oh, mic. <laughs> Whack that mic. Yeah. Key marker. <laughs> Definitely checking the explicit box on this one. All right. <clears throat> um.